0: Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's a Monday. You know what we do here on a Monday, OG? We raise our glasses, in this case, mugs, because it's it's late enough somewhere for an alcoholic beverage, but not for me today. This guy, this guy's drinking coffee. Is that brandy in As your we coffee? Salute our troops. It's a hottie toddy. You got a cold? You need a hottie toddy. I do have a cold. This time it's bronchitis. By the way, I have not been not sick. Is that a double negative there? No, I have not been not sick. Yes, I have been sick since December fifteenth with different things. One slides right into another. I feel like, you know, remember the WWE and the tag team? Well, those probably still happen, right? But for me, I don't watch that stuff anymore. But they tag team and the next one comes on. I'm like, hey, we got you little creepy cold. Bam. Hey, we got you. Tried to poison yourself. Bam. Hey, we got you, bronchitis. Bam. It's like they all just one melds into the next one.
1: Well, I've been sick since Thanksgiving. So... Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, I bet mine started around Halloween.
1: I've been sick of your crap since
0: 2012. <laughs> and on that note, let's raise our mugs and salute the men and women keeping us safe so we can just bitch at each other. It's the men and women in the U.S. Armed Forces. Simplify. On behalf of the men and women making podcast in mom's basement and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union. Here's to our troops. Let's go Stacks and Benjamins. At some point far in the future, historians will probably ask, what was daily life
2: like in the early 21st century? Well, one thing we know
1: for sure. Nobody will ever point to these two clowns and say, this was how you should have been stacking Benjamins.
2: Live from Joe's Mom's Basement... It's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today, for a very special episode, we welcome the author of From Burning to Blueprint, Rebuilding Black Wall Street After a Century of Silence, Kevin L. Matthews. For our TikTok Minute, we share a new retirement plan that's in vogue. In our headlines, we discuss the fight over the Presley fortune. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Mary, who has questions about saving for retirement alongside pensions. And then, I'll share some trivia along Route 66. And now, two guys who are here for your history lesson today. It's Joe and ojjjj
0: Doug, you got it right, man. It is a special episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe money on Twitter. And across the card table from me this fine day, it's Mr. OG. For those of you with audio only, you're missing the very gracious flourish. must be a special day here. And it is. We got uh, Kevin Matthews. Every year, uh, we pause briefly. We study a lot of history. We've talked about uh, P.T. Barnum, one of my favorite episodes, Abigail Adams, investing badass, talking about uh, money in the revolution. We've done that several times. Every year during Black History Month, we also dig into black history. Last year, we had Shamari Wills here talking about some awesome stories about early black Americans and their fortunes. I was reading in my USA Today about some black history about uh, Jesse Owens, OG, giving the finger to the Nazis. He was pretty fast back in the day. It It was so awesome. Just for people that don't know the Jesse Owens story, you owe yourself that trip. We, we today are going down a different road. Uh, I saw Kevin Matthews at FinCon late last year, FinCon, an f- independent financial media conference. And Kevin wrote a fantastic book. He's from Tulsa. And in Tulsa, there's a piece of history that I think we need to remember, Black Wall Street. We're going to talk about Kevin's history, detailing that massacre, and then uh, really repairing all of that uh, later. It's so Kevin Matthews on today, but before that, we're going to revisit the Presley fortune. O.G., didn't you think that was over? Like, hey, yeah. she passed away. Every- nope, nope. There's more, and I think there's a good Time financial to find lesson. about the money. Oh man! So let's get uh, let's get moving. your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread you'll never picture your money in the same way again betterment the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle visit betterment.com to get started investing involves risk performance is not guaranteed
3: hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines
0: Today's headline comes to us from Yahoo Entertainment. This is written by uh, Taryn Ryder. Priscilla Presley believes she should be in charge of daughter Lisa Marie's Presley estate, but a legal document filed seven years ago suggests that wasn't what the singer songwriter wanted. Should she die? It's the latest twist in Lisa Marie's complicated financial history. Lisa Marie, the only child of Elvis Presley passed away on January 12th after suffering cardiac arrest. So for people that missed our original headline on this, when Elvis Presley passed away, he had left a fortune of $10 million. But after his passing, Priscilla grew it to $100 million. Turned much of that over to Lisa Marie Presley, who shrank it by a lot. A lot. <laughs> who, is, who is
1: the expert at spending. Yes. There's the saving expert and the spending expert.
0: A few years ago, though, as this piece states, Lisa Marie changed things up. And now Priscilla is challenging that. And this piece from uh, yahoo doesn't go into it completely another piece i read this morning at usa today goes into it a little more but let me explain what it looks like is going on og because this gets into a little bit complicated estate planning first of all lisa marie presley had a trust and there are trusts in their wills and i think this is a good opportunity for our stacker community to kind of go over this with your own estate planning? Like, what's the difference, OG, between a trust and a will? I think we should start there.
1: Well, pretty simply, you can think of a trust as like another person. It's a living, kind of a living entity that all your stuff goes into, or at least that's what you want to have happen when you create a trust that continues to exist after you're not existing. A will, on the other hand, is just documentation that says, here's how I want all my stuff to be split up. Like I've got a car, I want it to go to my brother. I've got the grandfather clock, I want that to go to my niece, you know, that sort of thing. Like that's where you would put your stuff and kind of how you want your stuff to go. But trust is like somebody else holding on to the money and you get to tell it what to do.
0: To me, it's a lot like a company. Like you form this company whose job it is to do nothing except for follow the bylaws of the company that you set up. Hey, I'm the CEO of the company, I get to do whatever the hell I want. But when I pass away... Uh OG's gonna be in charge of the company. And here's exactly what OG's got to do. But the company can live on after I live on. It's a yeah. little, would you say that's is that mistaken? Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, is that's good. Right? I like it. I like it. So Lisa Marie had said that Priscilla, her mom, was going to be the person that took over her money when she passed away. You can only do that though, OG, in a trust. You can't do that in a will, right?
1: Right. That's right.
0: So Priscilla's gonna take over. There's a bunch of stuff that has to happen. A few years ago, when Lisa Marie's kids got to the age where they were they were old enough, she took Priscilla off and instead instead put her kids on. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a ton of sense to me when you know, we had a family member who was uh, who was what we call the contingent trustee, the person that takes over. And then when Nick and Autumn, my kids got old enough, Cheryl and I went and had that changed and had it say, you know what, Nick and Autumn are going to be in charge of our stuff. Does that make sense to you too?
1: Yeah. After, you know, the reason that you have a a trustee, especially when you have young kids is, you know, kids can't run companies to use your analogy. You can't put an eight-year-old in charge of Amazon. It wouldn't work uh, legally either. So it's not even just a mental issue, you know, or a capabilities issue. It's a, you know, you can't vote. You can't own property when you're young and like all that sort of stuff, you have to be 18. So, and then I think after 18, you know, there's kind of a, there's quite a growing up that happen, happens between 18 and you know 25 or 28. Right. So a lot of people will wait until their kids are a little bit older, like you did, you know, and say, okay, they're, they've got it. And now the kids can be in charge of, of the money. But before then most people will have brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles or moms and dads. And the other issue with having your parents be your successor trustee on your estate plan is that there's a pretty good likelihood that they're going to pass away before you. I mean, they're your parents, so statistically, you know, that's going to happen. So, early on that makes sense, but after a while, you don't want to burden a 96-year-old with being a trustee of your trust.
0: Here's the thing, this uh Yahoo piece says this amendment in 2016 that Lisa Marie had filed making the kids trustees now that they're able to do so, appears, quote, inconsistent with Lisa Marie's usual and customary signature. It doesn't look like Lisa Marie's signature, uh, Priscilla is saying. The amendment was apparently never notarized, and Priscilla alleges the document was never delivered to her as required by the terms of the 2010 arrangement. The matriarch says the date on the 2016 amendment is suspicious. It also apparently misspells Priscilla's name. Priscilla wants the court to restate the 2010 trust. Uh, the 2010 trust, by the way, has Priscilla and Barry Siegel, who uh, people accuse of stealing tons of money from the family. And they said, Barry Siegel is, has already said that he will resign. He will step down making Priscilla the, the trustee. But the point here is the documents, OG, not completely in order. Like when you do this stuff, Anybody can sue for any reason. Priscilla can sue. Even if the documents were were airtight, Priscilla could still sue. Right. But but not airtight when you have name misspellings, you don't get it notarized. Like button this stuff down. Don't write your, don't do your will with a crayon on a piece of paper. This is why I actually like having a lawyer involved, even though lawyers are more expensive than these do-it-yourself will kits.
1: I think there's another part of this too that that is worth kind of talking about. At some level, it doesn't much matter what the trustee or who the trustee is if the documents within the trust are clear enough in terms of what's your desires. In ours, our kids are all young and obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but, but our intent is that if something were to happen, all of our stuff would be split between our kids and that each one of our kids would have kind of their own bucket, so to speak, and then our intent is, is that you know, that they continue to use the money for anything that they need for health and education and you know, normal day-to-day living expenses, but that they refrain from ostentatious type things for quite a while. And we give this example in our trust just to kind of lay it out. It's like, if my brother, who is our trustee and guardian of our kids, says to the trust, hey, I need a new vehicle you know, I I just basically just inherited three kids. I have two of my own. I'm in, you know, I I need a new vehicle. I can't get around in a four seater. I have now five miles to feed. He goes to buy a two seater. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I need a two seater. now. But that's the point. It makes sense that he should be able to go get a vehicle. It doesn't make sense that he gets a Ferrari. And so there's checks and balances in there that, allow him to be able to go do those things, but also allow other people to kind of go (laughs) a Ferrari. You said you need a new car for, you know, due to the kids, you know, is it okay to take the kids to Disney? Yeah, I would think so. Should they go on a year long safari, you know, at the four seasons? Probably not. There's some sort of checks and balances in there. So the trustee's job is to manage the stuff, to use your analogy about the company, it's to manage the company. The trustee really doesn't get anything out of it. You know what I mean? Like, unless the trustee is also a beneficiary, which sometimes is the case, but I would advise not to do it that way. You know, have the trustee be independent, have that, be, have that person be third party who's not involved in it, especially if it's second, you know, kind of other complexities that you're trying to uh, take care of. Like in your case for your kids, right? I'm guessing your trust says split it between my kids. They're the trustees. They do what they want, right? You're not going to put restrictions on your kids. They're adults. If they spend all the money on Ferrari, so be it, right? Let them do it. It's their, it's, it's their prerogative. But if you had Nick in charge of, a, of the trust for your grandkids, you might say, eh, eh I kind of want this to be for their college. You know what I mean? And then Nick has to do what the trust says.
0: Well, there's definitely something going on here under the hood, OG, because of Lisa Marie's two children, one, Benjamin, passed away. And so now there's only her daughter. So if it is straightforward and everything goes to the daughter and that's what we want, why why is Priscilla then raising a flag and going, whoa, 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 whoa? You know, yeah. there's got to be something going on there. Now you can see Lisa Marie wanting Barry, who was also the trustee with Priscilla, her old business manager, off everything. Lisa Marie has always said that he caused her tons of financial ruin, wasted tons of money. We talked about that in our report uh, previous to this. So she definitely wanted him off of it. But why is Priscilla now saying that? Hey, hey, I need back in. Like I don't, I don't understand. Yeah why that would be. So there's still more going Maybe on. Maybe we
1: should be in. Should we, should we try to get in?
0: Should definitely be a uh, Priscilla Ridley. Riley. If you need some outside help um, or inside help, we're happy to uh,
1: we, be beneficiaries too. There's whichever. not enough to split it.
0: Could you see that live from Graceland? It's the Stacking Benjamin show. Do they have a basement at Graceland? I've never been. Cheryl's been to Graceland. I've never been.
1: It seems like a type of place. It would have a
0: basement. Let's remember here though. OG set it up. Use the appropriate professionals. Get it done right. You know, people go cheap on this stuff, and it ends up kicking them in the butt later. Like, do it right. Do it once. Don't worry about it ever again. Like sitting around worrying about, oh, "Is my estate right?" I'll give or, you a little you know, pushback
1: on don't ever think about it again because you you know there are some tax law changes that happen. There are you know individual states that do different things, but and like you said, you, your kids get older or do different things, so so you are going to have to sort of revisit it from time to time. But but the revisiting part should be pretty simple, I think we've updated ours, maybe just each time that a kid was born, you know. So we'll do it again once they get start getting older.
0: I thought you were about to announce something. We'll do it again ten months from now when the next <laughs> no. OG kid is born. No, no announcement. Time for us to sashay over to our TikTok minute. This is the part of the show where we look at some advice in air quotes sometimes it's good advice sometimes it's air quotes advice that uh, occurs on tiktok or other social media channels that we see uh today oh is this uh good stuff or um eh, not so good
1: nothing from tiktok is good ever
0: he's nothing but consistent i don't know this is a woman who is gen x she's going to tell you she's gen x i think that's the only piece that you uh that you need the video for here. Otherwise, you can see the video on the 201 tomorrow, our free newsletter, com slash 201. But you really don't need it. This is, uh, well, a Gen X retirement strategy. Tell me if you like this one, OG.
3: So I am obviously Gen X, and my retirement plan is to pass away. So I'm not sure how many other Gen X people have that as their retirement goal, but I know that I will be working one day and fall over dead, and that's how it goes.
0: How do you like that retirement plan? Have you ever done that? When a client comes to you, have you ever gone, okay, here's your plan. You're going to work, you're going to work, then you work and then you fall over dead.
1: And then die.
0: Yes. And that'll be $1,500. I don't know what the fee would be, but...
1: it's a discount. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lotter, lot, either fall over debt or lottery tickets. Those are your choices.
1: I'm going to talk about this for just a quick second. I, I think that there is a lot of stress and anxiety about this. And as somebody who's kind of squarely in that Gen X time frame. I think you're Joe at the very front end. I mean, you might be considered a baby boomer still. I'm not easy. Sure. Stop. But no, um, Len
0: is on the front end. I'm way behind.
1: <laughs> you're not way behind that. I know way, way, way behind. <laughs> Cause, cause you've got a birthday in a, in a, in a, in a week and it's another big number, isn't it? Do you have another <laughs> big birthday coming?
0: 39 it's 39,
1: 39 for the, for the 27th time, 39, 39 for the 39, 39 squared. <laughs> Anyways, people go through different cycles in their life, right? Like where they're have money, don't have money, save it, don't save it, whatever. You know, kind of life just gets in the way. If you're in, if you're in your forties, if you're 45, I don't know how old this woman was, but she said Gen X, so maybe she's 45, maybe she's 50. And you're looking at your retirement account, going, "Well, oh well, I guess I just don't do that now." Like you have so much time, it seems like you don't. And yes, it would have been a thousand times better to start this crap when you were 18, but you know, you didn't. So you can't go back in time, but I think that people are underestimating the amount of time that there's still got left and with the advances in health and, and healthcare and the stuff that you can do later on in life. I mean, the difference between my grandparents' generation, my dad, mom, and ours in our family is quite a big drop of outside work to inside work. If you're a farmer, yeah, it would suck to be doing farming probably at 85. Like it's probably not a thing that you're physically going to be able to be doing a whole bunch of. But can you be an accountant at 75? Of course you can. You know, can you you still work on computers at 75? Can you still be an executive? Of course you can. So if you're 50, you need to be thinking in kind of a 25-year time frame here going, you know, the first 25 years was getting ready and now I'm ready to... To actually get it going, and so, anyways, that's my soapbox well, moment.
0: A, a friend of ours, uh Becky Heptig, who was on the show back when I did a um, interviews live from Camp Phi a couple years ago. A great organization. They get people together at these retreat centers, and you talk about money all weekend, which to some people might sound horrible. It really is much more about talking about what your values are. Very little actual money talk. A lot of what are my values and why am I not spending money like my values? And Becky didn't start. Becky and her husband, Stephen, didn't start until they were 50 on even starting to pay off their debt. Like at age 50, OG, they woke up. And you know what? They had a lot of things in their favor. And she admits that they had a lot of stuff that went right. But it all went right for 10 years. And by 60, she she was ready. She had a nest egg. You know, it wasn't the most beautiful thing in the world, but if she needed to stop at 60, she could do it 10 years later. Right. How great is that? Yeah, I
1: mean, it's doable. It's, you know, you got to choose when you're going to have your fun. Yeah, I, I remember when we were earlier married and we were talking about starting a family. And one of the questions that we were talking about is, do we want to start a family young and not have any money, but be old and have money? To be able to do stuff, but the kids are gone or older, right? Or do we want to wait, kind of have fun now, but we don't have any money, so we can't have a lot of fun. But we, you know, are young and spry, and we have a family a little bit later, and they're still kind of around. And so we kind of pick the middle ground, right? We're just like, ah, just do the middle. And then, you know, and then my daughter was born when I was forty, so so I picked the latter part. Took for that the best
0: one. of all worlds,
1: <laughs> you know. But one out of but, three ain't bad. Yeah, exactly. Two out of three. So you know, if you had fun from twenty-five to fifty, cool. Awesome. I bet you don't really regret much, which is great. Now it's just going to be different. It doesn't make you it bad. It's just going to be different. It's like exercise. I was thinking about this the other day. I've been exercising quite a bit for the last two-ish months. Two-ish it's finally days? finally now... No, months. And so it's finally to the point now where when I take a day off, which I know I have to every so often, I got the I got the itch like I need to go do something. Like I, I feel... I I feel like I should have worked out today. Like I didn't get that hour in. So I kind of feel like I missed something. Whereas early on it was like, oh God, where am I going to find that hour? Or, oh, this sucks so bad. Now it's like, I kind of look forward to, I don't really look forward to it yet. Kind of look forward to it. It's just a different mindset. It's the same thing with, with any sort of change in your life. So just have a different mindset. It's fun to save money.
0: We will dive into saving strategies in our newsletter that follows our shows, the 201. We try to make sure we introduce all these topics in the podcast. If you want to go deeper on any of them, the 201 is the place to do it. StackyBenjamins.com slash 201. Kevin Bailey over there worked with uh, TIA and with Vanguard and now works with the Stacky Benjamins family and has great curated links to best-in-class places to find information on all of these topics beyond the show. Always free. Unsubscribe whenever you want, but stackybenjamins.com slash 201. Coming up next, we dive into history in Tulsa in the early 1900s. And man, there's nobody better to tell this horrifying story than Kevin Matthews he's a number 1 best selling author former financial advisor he is a phenomenal online brand called building bread that he started in uh 2010 to inspire millennials to set simplify and achieve any financial goal uh by 2017 you will see him alongside our own OG in Investopedia's top 100 most influential financial advisors Kevin's a great guy it's wild that I saw him at fincon and i said you've never been on the show you wrote this phenomenal book would you come on he's like yeah let's do it so kevin upstairs talking to mom gonna come down right now but you know tulsa's long route 66 og so doug i think you got some route 66 trivia for us today
2: hey there stackers i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and today we're talking about some pretty serious events that happened in tulsa Tulsa is also home to some amazing stuff, including black owned shops and organizations like the Habit Boutique, Black Women Business Owners of America, and Fulton Street Books and Coffee. You've also got Route 66 running straight through town. And not just in Tulsa, but people have spent tons of Benjamins from Chicago to Santa Monica. So, my question is from start to finish, how many states does Route 66 go through? I'll be back right after I go get my kicks.
0: And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Hey there,
2: stackers. I'm top down road warrior. Even though I drive an El Camino, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Route 66 starts in Chicago and ends in Santa Monica, California. It trails through Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So how many states in total does Route 66 go through? Eight! And now, to enlighten us on the history of the Tulsa Black Wall Street, here's Kevin L. Matthews.
0: Here he is across the card table from me. Kevin Matthews joins me. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Well, you've had a lot of kicks
4: around Route 66, haven't you? I have. I have. <laughs> have you gone the whole way? I have not gone the whole way. I've obviously traveled a good bit since a part of it goes right through my, my city. I've taken it to Chicago. So from Tulsa to Chicago, but have not taken it the, I guess, the other half.
0: It's so fun seeing all the old motels and the, you know, tourist traps on Route 66. That is fun. I'm a person, by the way, Kevin, who came to, you still live in Tulsa, right?
4: Yes. Yes. I was born and raised in Tulsa.
0: Yeah, or you're back in Tulsa or you still live there, but you're but you're in Tulsa today. Yes. Yeah. I'm a person like you write about in your book who found Tulsa lately because this city, everybody thinks of it now, Kevin, is a gem, right? Mm-hmm. Like your city's so badass. There's so much cool stuff going on there. I was there for the NCAA tournament in 2017, mm-hmm. and I thought, why the heck haven't I heard about this before? But obviously you go into a history that is not so kind, not so gentle. It's just some horrible stuff. Why you and this particular project?
4: Yeah. So for me, as, as someone who was born and raised in Tulsa, I had what I felt was a unique connection to tell the story of Tulsa, but also give it that historical perspective from a recent history because like you said, a lot of people, it was, it was a flyover town. It was a place that no one really knew where it was on a map until I would say maybe 2010 or so. So for someone to come in and say, look, you know, I, I was here before everything that we see now, the NCAA, we didn't have a basketball team. We didn't have a food truck. I literally did not see a single food truck in Tulsa until like 2013 or so. Like that's how, yeah, that's, it was just like, it was a, a quote unquote city that you would, you would use in air quotes. And now it's definitely growing, I think, for the most part, for the better. But I wanted to say, look, before it gets all this media attention, before things really change, let me talk about what it was before and make sure that we don't forget our history before we continue to move forward.
0: And this isn't about just digging into a horrible event in the past, This is which I, which I want to dive into, but this is really about the future, isn't it? About building a better future?
4: Absolutely. And that's that was the the point of the project is there are tons of history books that talk about the past, both, both good and bad, but there are very few that say, hey, this terrible event happened. Here's how we move forward. Here are some strategies and some tools that we can use to ensure that this doesn't happen again, or at least that we can move forward and be in a better place. Well, let's do it then, Kevin. Let's walk into the past. Tell me to start off with
0: about the early days of the Greenwood District in Tulsa, maybe the early 1900s, you know, uh, way prior to the events, their Memorial Day uh, 1921.
4: The Greenwood District, also known as Black Wall Street, was one of the most prosperous black communities in the nation. What set Greenwood apart from other pockets of black wealth in the country is that this was one of the few places where you could start off as a farmer and move into business and become a millionaire. It was one of the few places where you didn't have to have legacy wealth at that point in time, which was very difficult to come by, but you could come with nothing and walk away with generational wealth and really setting your family and and the next generation up for success. So that's what made Tulsa different. However, it was one of the few places in the South that felt, at least for a while, immune to some of the, the climate that was around the U.S. at that point in time. So early 1900s was the height of the KKK. This was a few years after the red summer of 1919, where there were a slew of race events and and massacres across the country. It felt like a gem for for one point in time and one that was definitely transcendent that was different. It was a place that you did not really see uh, back in the early 1920s.
0: Yeah, you you wrote uh, that most people say the massacre began after this encounter, and we'll get into this, between black shoeshiner Dick Rowland and white elevator operator Sarah Page. But you, you make a big point early on as saying that waters down the history. And to get <clears> to your point about how this was a gem, this all stems from Oklahoma being a territory. And it sounded like to me that because it wasn't a state, whether it's a northern state or a southern state, the fact that it was a territory – a black person or, or maybe even anybody from any race, there were just more opportunities out there because a lot of these racist laws and race, you know, kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, not a racist law. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Weren't around there. Is that, am I wrong?
4: No, no, you're, you're right. Because it, it was at that point in time, Indian territory and Oklahoma did not become a state until 1907. So before then there were a lot. So you would think of like, like a state like Texas that was well-established that, that had its own history, and then states around it, those segregation laws had not really come into effect just yet. So really, you had an influx of African-Americans who moved in and started to kind of build things before they made rules against it. Um, And by the time those rules were instituted, by the time there had been a governor or two for the state of Oklahoma, we had kind of carved out our own community that was almost self-sufficient.
0: What was interesting to me was that um, like a lot of things that we have when we talked history and a lot of bad things happen around history of course it kind of seems to me that it revolved around money oil gets discovered in oklahoma and Mm -hmm. i really had this feeling as i read your history that the dominoes kind of start with oil walk me through oil being discovered were black people involved in the riches and the wealth that came out of oil in oklahoma
4: Yes and no. So the the oil boom had made Tulsa what was known at that point in time, the oil capital of the world. It really put Oklahoma on the map at that point in time.
0: I love that, by the way, the tall guy. When I was in Oklahoma, we had to go over a picture. I don't know that guy's name, but there's this tall guy, I think, along Route 66, this Uh oil man along along
4: there. Yeah, yeah, the golden driller. And he surprisingly, I forget the exact number, but he's like top 10 tallest statues in the U.S.
0: He was huge.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I, and I didn't know that. I was like, I wouldn't have thought to me. It's, I mean, it's obviously tall if you're looking at it, right? But I didn't know it was top 10. Uh, so that was something that, that I didn't realize until I was much older. But in either case, it, it really put Tulsa on the map. And while African Americans weren't di- directly involved in the oil part of it, it was really kind of the, the tangential jobs, for example. So when you have wealthy oil men that built these giant homes, they needed someone to clean, right? They needed shops to go to. They needed all the other ancillary services that was around oil, which is what helped African-Americans to move in and get well-paying jobs. And that was the part that said it a bit differently than other places in the South, because when you had this, this oil wealth and people were splurging left and right, they paid better for some of the menial jobs that would not pay in a place like Chicago or Atlanta or even in D.C. at that point in time.
0: But a problem that you know is that while there's incredible businesses, like the business district along Greenwood is phenomenal, there's no real banking presence there. Like you mentioned is in Durham, North Carolina, another Mm -hmm. great, largely African American city at that time. Mm -hmm. But the banking presence ended up becoming a problem or lack of a banking presence.
4: Yeah. it it, Surprisingly, for all the amazing businesses that were built, we didn't see in in our research any uh, True financial district that we've seen in other places. So there there were small, very, very small institutions. But for the most part, a lot of people at that point in time still banked with the the mainstream banking system, which after the massacre occurred, they kind of held on to that and didn't really pay out for insurance and other things.
0: Well, and I'm also thinking, you know, I mean, we've had other guests on talking about some of the sometimes, you know, we don't know if it's overt, if it's not overt, right? Is it omission or commission, but some of the racist policies that happen in banking, you've got to take your money if you're living on black wall street and take it to this racist, non-racist institution and continue to, to bank. You can't bank at a place where I would imagine that you feel safe after this.
4: Right, right. And that's totally true. And that's another kind of symptom of, of that era, right? Because if I can't trust them, right? If I can't walk in through the front door with my money, then I want to, I want to have it on me, right? I want to have it in my home, hidden away, right? Buried in the backyard, as some people say. But then what happens when your house is burned or your property is taken away, right? You don't really have access to it. So you, you're really kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in that era where you didn't really have as many options and opportunities as some other areas and some other cultures did.
0: Well, and you say in your brand too, the best way to become wealthy in a way that's very inclusive is in the stock market. You get to choose, you get to choose where to put your money. And, And if you're burying your money in the backyard, you're not getting any intergenerational wealth. Like that's not happening, but I want to move into this horrible situation in 1921, but to get there, this isn't just, White on black violence. Tulsa, because of the money that was there, because of the 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 I don't know, laissez faire feeling of the police department, this was becoming a much more violent place, it sounded like. You talk about in 1917, right after people are coming back from World War One, there was an industrial workers of the world event that happened. Can we start mm-hmm. maybe start with this? Because this feels like a big prelude.
4: Yeah. So, and this is something, you know, that that I didn't really learn until I started researching the book, because like like I mentioned in the book, as you mentioned earlier, most documentaries and most historians will just start the story, right? And say, hey, elevator incident happened, attack happened, end of story, terrible event, close the book. However, Tulsa had a very... Let's call it an interesting culture around uh, around how people work. Interesting is so mild. (laughs) Yeah, I'll put it as mild as possible. But like you said, in 1917, I believe the other year was 1919, there were two events where white men were arrested and a white mob came and took the man out of jail, right? Out of jail and, and lynched him. And you're, if you're thinking like, okay, this is early 1900s, you know, 1917 or so, and you have a white man that was hanged, another white man that was tarred and feathered for, uh, for murdering someone. And you're like, if that happened to a white guy. In 1917, what do you think would happen to an African-American, right, who is accused of of sexual assault? Um, so that was a part of the fear and the buildup, because you you could recognize four years before the Tulsa police weren't necessarily doing their jobs. Right. And in one case, as, as you mentioned, they sold the rope to a crowd and you had police officers directing parking for this lynching for a white person in 1917, which is showing you like, can we, can we stop there for a
0: second? Yeah. Police aren't, police aren't stopping the lynching. Police are doing crowd control so people can watch the lynching.
4: Yes. Yes. So that is how wild that period in time in Tulsa was. Because of that, you're going to have a natural fear for anybody, really, at this point, uh, but especially for African-Americans, because, again, this is the height of the KKK. This is directly after the Red Summer of 1919. So when Dick Rowland uh, was arrested, there is a a palpable fear of protection, because if they could not protect people two, three, four years in advance, then we know that something is definitely going to happen in this person who did not have due process and whose charges were dropped eventually because they could not corroborate the story to begin with. Yeah.
0: There's lots of kindling ready for this fire to set mm-hmm. off. So let's go to the event then, Kevin it's uh Memorial day, Dick Rollin, uh, African-American shoe shiner headed into the third floor of this building. Now, You write in the book, nobody knows why he was headed there. Nobody knows because there's not going to be anybody else in the building. But he's headed there. Elevator operator Sarah Page is in the elevator. She screams. Tell me what happens after that.
4: Yeah. So after she screams, there is uh, someone else who was, I guess, I don't know if it was security or what he was there in the building. He heard it. And then this was instantly reported to the police. And it was printed in the newspaper saying that a black man had assaulted this white woman. The next day, this was a uh, day after Memorial Day, he was arrested and taken to the Tulsa County Jail. A white mob then began to gather there. And for obvious reasons, there is a, a fear of that. So a group of World War I black veterans came and met at the county, uh, at the jail to protect him, saying, hey, we're here just to make sure that he gets his due process and that this mob is not going to do what they did to the last two people. Is Is the fact that these people are veterans...
0: Is that important because of the fact that maybe people have respect for these people because of the fact that they fought in a world war for us like this might this might calm people because of the fact that these people just got back from something that was just absolutely horrible?
4: Well, yeah, you, you would think it would, it would garner some respect. However, it actually garnered a bit more fear because these were organized black men who were armed, right? They knew what to do. They knew how to protect themselves and defend themselves. Uh, unfortunately, they were outnumbered almost 20 or 30 to one. So that was a part of the issue. And there was a struggle between two men, a shot went off, and then the massacre began. And that is what happened. And over the next 24 to 48 hours, where you know one of the richest communities was completely wiped off the map it was a climate beforehand the four years before they really kind of built this up and then the fact that this community was organized they knew what, were, what they were doing and knew how to defend themselves to a degree but unfortunately again they were completely outnumbered at this point
0: i want to go back to the events right after dick gets arrested kevin mm-hmm. he gets arrested the newspaper doesn't make it better they made it worse
4: Exactly. They did. They printed out, um, a headline saying, you know, this uh, Nab, Nabi Negro was basically the, the title at that point in time. And strangely enough, and there have been multiple documents that, that have noted this as well. If you go back into the archives, that article is actually cut out of the city records. That's so. Yeah. So the, the only, the only record that we do have are pictures of the article, um, and other people who, who have actually saved it. But the official city archives, it actually has that, that exact article cut out. Uh, but Essentially, that was the, the thing that, that stoked it and made it worse than what it was. Because, again, as this event is happening, as the mob is gathering this, Sarah Page is actually at the jail saying like, hey, it wasn't that big a deal. He tripped. You know, this is not what everybody is making it to seem. However, because oh, she's that saying, news-
0: wait a minute, wait a minute, Kevin, she's saying the whole time, wait a minute, I went too far. This is no big deal.
4: I'm not going to press charges. Exactly. She did not press charges. She never pressed charges. Um, he never actually went to any legal system to corroborate his innocence or anything. We actually don't know what happened to her after this event. But she said like, hey – this isn't a big deal. However, because everyone was already out there, because it was already printed in the paper and because of the climate of the time, people were, were charged, right? They were ready to, to take over. And we also know from the city codes that were passed directly after the massacre, the, the city council voted almost unanimously to make sure that that land could not be built on and they wanted to acquire it for a business district. So that shows you like, Hey, this is, this seems corroborated, right? This, this seems like, why would you immediately pass a fire code knowing that people couldn't afford to rebuild, knowing that the insurance companies weren't going to pay that money back? It was even written in the city paper that African-Americans would not be able to afford to rebuild because of city wow. ordinance number nine. Wow. What did the police do during all this? The same thing they mostly did at this point in time, which was to to sit back. Um, They did not really defend anyone at this point in time. And in fact, in some cases, they actually deputized members of the mob to (laughs) continue this assault. So they were passing out weapons, giving, you know, badges and deputizing others to continue the attack. Let's make it worse. Exactly. Exactly. Can you tell everybody where you went to school? Yeah. So I I grew up and went to Booker T. Washington High School, who was a man who named Black Wall Street. He was the the one who came out and called it Negro Wall Street to begin with. And that's how the moniker came uh, and then went to a historically black college, Hampton University um, in Virginia.
0: Yeah. And I was mostly worried about that first part. And that's on that's on what street? That's on Greenwood. That's on Greenwood. Yeah. Which is in the same spot where this all occurred.
4: So the original school was right in the Greenwood district in 1913. They rebuilt and moved the school. So by the time I went to school in 2008, it was not exactly on Greenwood, but at that point in time, it was. And this was also, also prom night. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Yes. So the attack actually occurred on uh, the class of 1921 uh, on prom night. Oh, no. Can you, can you just imagine? You're in the middle of your
0: prom night and all of a sudden you got violence all around
4: you. Exactly, exactly. So for those who may not know, the majority of this history was not uncovered until it was really between, I would say, 1998 and about 2002 or so. Um, and the reason why was because after the Oklahoma City bombing in the late 90s, African Americans in in Tulsa said, well, wait a minute, at the time, right, that was the Oklahoma City bomb was the worst tragedy we'd ever seen, right? this sure. before 9-11. And it, we we it the worst attack to ever happen on American soil. However, People at that point in time said, hey, wait, something did happen here. And the state actually commissioned a study to figure out what happened. So that is how we started to unbury and figure out exactly what was happening on that time. And we've had since, let's say, 2000, 2001, up until now in 2023 to uncover what happened. So to be an alum of Booker T. Washington High School and to graduate in 2008 we didn't actually find and see the actual yearbook. I didn't even know a yearbook existed until 2021. And that is how like, far removed that that history was and how much we still have to learn and how much we didn't even know. Well, and that's
0: why I wanted to ask because my point in asking you where you went to school and the fact that you, you went to school right on top of where this happened. And mm-hmm. yet, did you ever learn anything about this in school?
4: In school, almost, almost nothing. I remember one, maybe it was a day or two lesson in like seventh or eighth grade that said, Hey, this thing happened. It was right up the street. That was it. We did not go into what happened before and what the climate was. And really didn't go into how coordinated this was. I didn't know that the city council passed a law to block African Americans from rebuilding, right? I didn't learn that the Tulsa police were deputizing people. I didn't know there were there were camps that were basically hoarding people and not allowing them to go home and really just kind of making the situation worse. I also didn't know they even tried to rebuild. I didn't know the insurance companies didn't even pay. Like these are all the things I had to learn well after the fact, even though this happened blocks away from, from where my parents currently live.
0: The interesting thing I found about this is that there's been so little research and a lot of what you talk about, I know from studying was only passed on and saved because of oral history, right? People Mm -hmm. that had experienced it sharing with their children, their grandchildren, and then people were able to revive this. And finally Finally, discover the truth, and yet you quote some amazing sources. Uh, I know Shamari Wills, who was on our show last year, talking about black fortunes and some just sometimes heart wrenching and sometimes very heartwarming stories of early black wealth. Mm -hmm. You must, I'm just imagining, you really had to dig for sources. Were sources hard to find?
4: They were, they were. So, thankfully, I I got to the the benefit of you know, leaning back to going back to 2001, right, for for the initial study. But sources were were relatively hard to come by because there were a lot of, of rumors, right? Like growing up, yeah, you know, I would go to church with someone's grandpa who who knew somebody or was was there. And this is like in the early, early 90s. Uh when we had more survivors at that point in time. But it was very difficult to sort out what was truth, what was was a rumor, or something that was just kind of passed yeah. down. Yeah. And again, we're finding out new things every day, right? So as as I was writing the book, they finally found some of the graves. that had always been rumored, right? And that was something that we could not confirm until halfway through me writing the book. Well, and you said this is in, by the way, for everybody listening, you're
0: writing the book. This is in 2020. Like this is in, you yeah. know, 1940, 1950, 1960, 1970, 1980, 1990. I just want to go through the, You know what I mean? It's not yeah. none of that. It's 2020. Yeah. And yeah. we're discovering this stuff.
4: Yeah, 2020, we're discovering this stuff. 2020, we actually found remains from a mass grave that we believe were from victims of this event. And it's, you know, why did it even take that long to even start looking? Right? That's, that's a part of the like, wait a minute, you you waited 99 to 100 years to even start looking. So, there's just so many things that we are continuously finding out. I had the benefit of of following other great researchers uh to have something to build from, but finding some some resources were were difficult to come by and had to make sure that we could verify everything that we we put in the book.
0: We've had uh John Hope Bryant on a couple of times. he talks a lot about African Americans and entrepreneurship and he makes a point that you echo, which is that racism has a $16 trillion price tag. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Can you talk about what that means? Why Why does racism have a $16 trillion tag on it?
4: Yeah, and and that's just over the last, I believe it was 20 years. So we're not yeah. even going back to the 1920s or even before then. But essentially, the... Racism has knock on effects. So there is one thing to be paid less, which we know that's, that's the case. It's one thing to be charged more in terms of interest rates, even though we have similar credit scores and income and in those events. It's the, when we, when we don't have the same salary, that's less money that we can have to buy a home. That's less money that the realtor is going to get from commission fees, which Continues to kind of spur out, right? So when we start to add up all of those costs throughout the entire pipeline and chain that you have throughout your life, that starts to add up to $16 trillion. So when we talk about less pay, less home value, like our our homes are valued at about $50,000 less for every black home on average compared to a similar white home in any city in America. So when you start to add that stuff up, you start to realize like, hey, there is a, a cost to all of us. And if we were paid equally, if our homes were valued equally, that's $16 trillion that we could have added to the U.S. economy.
0: It's very difficult to change hearts and minds, but holy, cr- $16 trillion is a ton.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, it really shows how, how really how racism hurts us all, not just obviously physically and psychologically, but also it just, it doesn't make financial sense. You know, just like you are, not only are you being racist, but like you're you're also holding yourself back in the entire (laughs) country by doing so. Because like you said, bringing everybody to the table helps us all. And by singling out several groups, but particularly African-Americans in this event, sets everybody back. It makes, you know, building wealth a lot harder.
0: I want to- dive into the second half of the book, because as we we mentioned at the top stackers, this is not about just the past. It's about building a better future. And I want to dive for just a minute into that, uh, which is you use an acronym to get into the solution called SIP. What is SIP all about?
4: Yeah, I call it the SIP system and it stands for save, invest, protect. And I think that Everything that you do in finance is going to fall into one of those three buckets. And if you can check those three boxes, if you can start to build yourself using that acronym, you can go from zero to 100, right? You can start to really build whether it's generational wealth for the next generation or yourself. So it starts off with understanding, like, what is that security blanket? What is that emergency fund? Then it moves into investing and making sure that I'm growing the funds that you have. And then you have the last one's protection, how do I make sure that I'm protecting the wealth that I built? How do I make sure that if there is a recession, if there is an unfortunate event, how can I make sure that I protect my wealth? And we've noticed really throughout the years, but even celebrity cases, uh, let's say like Aretha Franklin or even a prince, they can save, right? They can invest. But if you don't protect it, right, it ends up in court. There ends up being confusion. You end up eroding your wealth. So you want to make sure that you have those three things and it doesn't matter how complex your financial situation is, those are the three pillars. If you can do those, you can absolutely build wealth. We were talking about, you were upstairs
0: chatting with mom earlier, but we were talking about Lisa Marie Presley, same thing. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have herself protected. And so big mess over there. The book is From Burning to Blueprint, Rebuilding Black Wall Street After a Century of Silence. It is an amazing read and a bestseller. Kevin, available everywhere? Yes, available everywhere you get books. Awesome. And by the way, I would be remiss. Kevin has uh, go follow building bread on, uh, on where are you most probably you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. Where else are you?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm on YouTube and TikTok. I'm sparingly on TikTok. Yeah, me too.
0: I don't dance enough.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I I really, I really don't. I just, I'm too lazy, (laughs) (laughs) but you can really find me, uh, primarily on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube.
0: Yeah, and he's got a fabulous channel and I and I think you've won Plutus awards for the channels, right? For your social yeah, media
4: presence. Yeah. Yeah, so we we really got serious about the channel uh I would say 2020 to 2021 and we've gotten three Plutus awards since then. I put out 250 videos a year, oh my, so Monday through up. Friday. Oh, yeah, Monday god. through Friday, we're we're putting out brand new content. And you have kids? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. You know what? We'll link to the
0: Building Bread channels everywhere on our show notes page as well as the book on our show notes at Stacking Benjamins. Kevin, great catching up with you again. Thank you for sharing the history of Black Wall Street. I really appreciate
4: it. Yes, thank you for having me.
3: Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm Stacking Benjamins.
0: Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first.
1: Oh, uh, what I value most. Uh, it's really getting ready for Joe's big surprise birthday party.
0: Oh,
1: right. Big milestone this year. Yes. Another big milestone.
0: The main way I know... I think it
1: is a big milestone. Is this a year in which the the numbers are the same?
0: It's 39. It's 39. That's,
1: those numbers aren't the same. No, I'm thinking like, you know, your birthday, you have like 11. Like a speed limit.
0: You're thinking about a speed limit.
1: 22... Thirty-three. You're thinking about a speed limit. Forty-four.
0: No, I'm 39. 39. Uh Uh It's going to be good. 18th time. I also know there is no surprise birthday party because Cheryl just told me today. She's like, "Hey, I'm going to go to Detroit and help Nick with his rental houses the weekend of your birthday."
1: Surprise!
0: (laughs) Surprise. She's like, "You want to come with me? What? What what can I possibly do? It's my birthday." Oh, you can. You can hang pictures because Nick doesn't know how to hang pictures well in his new Airbnb. That he's putting together. I'm like, great. Yeah, cool. How about no? But thank you for the thought. The thought is obviously what counts. It is your loved ones and your time and and uh, hanging pictures.
1: It's like the part from uh, from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where he's like, we got you the best gift, Clark. And he's like, oh, you didn't have to get me anything. He goes, damn it, Bethany. He guessed it.
0: <laughs> he guessed it. <laughs> it's
4: it's a why gift they've been buying
0: quality term life insurance. It's actually simple. Go to Stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Haven Life, they're committed to offering a modern way to buy life insurance. Their application is if you've got a birthday
1: coming up like Joe, be (laughs) sure to buy your life insurance beforehand.
0: Before prices go up, prices go up at midnight. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, 160 year old. Today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Mary. Hey,
3: Mary. Hi, guys. My name is Mary. I'm pretty new to listening to your show. I just wanted to reach out with a question that I've been trying to figure out for some time now. My husband and I are both in pension systems. So when we retire, we'll both be receiving a pension in addition to whatever other retirement savings we have. We do both have... 457 accounts and one Roth account when I listen to the various podcasts or would you guys have or read liter- literature there's always some general benchmarks and guidance about how to determine what you should be saving in order to be prepared for retirement and I'm just wondering how that should be adjusted based on the fact that we both will be receiving pensions as well On another note, I listened to your after show about travel and I'm going to shamelessly give a little plug to my sister because she has a luxury travel agency called Ormina Tours. They do Europe. So you should check them out when you're looking for your next vacation. Thanks guys.
0: (laughs) Well, welcome to Mary's free ad placement on the Stacky Benjamin show. (laughs) Mary, because you're a new stacker, we're happy to support your sister's agency. Then we're gonna find out that her sister has all kinds of problems, OG, and she's been in the news a bunch. And then it all uh, falls on us. We have done zero research about uh, Mary's sister's company. I don't know
1: what an after show is That's my, that was what I, was I th-
0: that that was the big question, Mary. What are you talking about? Yeah, no idea what you what you mean there. I wanted to find a few things first for people that are just new to finance in general. She has a pension, a four fifty seven, and a Roth. Sounds like she's got a bunch of gobbledygook. Isn't it called gobbledygook, OG?
1: I think everybody knows what a pension is. 457 is just like your 401k. It's just a different kind of rule structure, but it's very similar. And uh, Roth IRA is is pretty well known now. So you can contribute both to a 457 and a Roth, depending on your income and earnings. This is a really great question because the problems with financial media in general is that you have this kind of one to many approach, right? We have, you know, a whole bunch of people listen to stacking Benjamins. There's a whole bunch of people listening to Dave Ramsey. There's a whole bunch of people that read the wall street journal. And so all these different uh, mediums kind of have to sort of say the 80% answer, you know, which is, eh, you should save 10% of your money. You should save 20% of your money. You should do this. Yeah. Yeah. Finger in the wind, give or take, do some stuff, do some things, do some stuff with the things, you know, And then you get to financial planning for an individual and realize it's pretty personal and you can't use a rule of thumb when you have a pension and a social security and some other savings, but limited, you know, here or there, or you've got these other financial goals because it's just not going to work the same way. You're going to end up with too much money here and not enough money there or not enough money here and too much fun there or whatever the case may be. If you have a pension and you have social security those are great things to consider for a retirement plan. But I also would be aware of the downfalls of those things. You know, a pension generally doesn't rise with inflation. Some some of them do have some uh, inflation protection in them, but most don't. And pensions are generally paid by smaller entities. And a lot of times those pension companies decide that they don't really like being in the pension business anymore. All you have to do is is look up pension collapses or pension failures to see, hey, that guaranteed thing that I was promised for you know my lifetime may not be around. And you say, well, mine is through the state of insert place here. They'll never go bankrupt. It's like, well, okay, if that's what you want to hope. I mean, I, I would hope that that's not the case. But I can tell you lots of examples where the biggest organizations in the in the country, bigger than some states even, were like, oh yeah, we'll never go bankrupt and did, or their pension system did because, you know, they used incorrect calculations. The other side of it is, is let's say that you do have a pension that's really rock solid. It's, it's, it rises with inflation. It kind of checks all those boxes. And then you go, well, should I be saving outside of it? Well, I don't know. Depends on what your spending is. It depends on what you want to do in retirement. I think, I think the other side of this is equally important. If all you do is save money for the future and don't do anything now, you end up with a whole bunch of tomorrows and nothing for today. It's like, what's the point when we look at financial plans for clients and it shows, oh, this nice big chart and you're going to have $32 million when you're 100. And everybody looks at me like, what? I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand that that chart doesn't make sense to me. Well, mathematically is correct, but I also agree that there's no scenario, unless that's your goal, right? I want to build a children's hospital. There's no scenario where you're in your 70s and you have so much excess money that you go, I'll just keep spending the way I do. You know, go to go to Starbucks once a day. No, you're going to do things differently, just like you have your entire life.
0: Twice a day, you're going to go to Starbucks.
1: Right. You know, when, when you were 20 and you had no money, you lived differently than when you're 40 and have some money, and differently than when you're 60 and have lots of money. Like, you just do different things. You didn't shop at Abercrombie and Kent for vacations when you didn't have any money, and now you have money, and you go, I'll do those trips. You know, it's just, it'll be the same thing. It'll just be, you know, at a different scale. Financial planning is super, super personal. And when you add in those kind of odd, not really odd, but differences in terms of, hey, I've got this pension, or I've got this savings opportunity, or you've got somebody, for example, that has a 457 and a 403B, you know, that person can save twice as much money as you and I can in their retirement plans. That's an advantage, maybe, if they need it. I don't really have an answer of, you know, what percent should I save other than to say, I would consider what would retirement look like without a pension? I would consider the increase in inflation throughout retirement and will there be a, a cash flow gap and how are you going to fund it and kind of start working from that perspective.
0: Yeah, I love this idea of beginning with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey wrote about in his uh, great book, Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. Never heard of it. It is so funny how often I quote that book for a guy that just thought it wasn't that great. I, I still remember reading that and putting it down and go, yeah, it's all right. It seems kind of obvious. And then I, I, read it,
1: I read it three times. The first time I read it was fine. I was like, kind of the same way. I read it in grad school and we had to do like analysis of each one. And I was like, oh, Yeah, this is pretty good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. When you have to like read, read and report on each chapter, you're like, this is, this is, this is some good stuff right here.
0: And sometimes the fact that it's so plain, that's what eludes you. The fact that there is no fat, right? That book has no fat. It's all, these are the things. And they're all like, yeah, of course those are the things. But then you think of all the stuff that everybody else puts in all the other books that doesn't appear there. Like the absence of that was, I guess, lost on me at the start. But it impressed me so much that, oh, gee, I began my first chapter of my book stacked with exactly what you're talking about. With with begin with timelining out your goals. Draw this list of what your goals are and then put the pension in there. How much economic freedom does that give you? And then fill in the blank and work backwards to today. How much money am I gonna need on top of the pension and social security? And then work but work backwards from there. Yep. And it's and not only, you know, we had Jill Schlesinger from CBS on a couple of weeks ago. I agree with Jill. That's where the fun is, too. People are like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to. Just give me a rule of thumb. No, the fun is in this. Is in this dreaming.
1: Well, because you get the flexibility component of it. I mean, what's the value of saving twenty percent of your of your income for your entire life when real when in reality you only needed to save ten and you missed out on opportunities now, whatever that looks like, whether it's something cool like vacation or giving money away or whatever. And the alternative is true too. If you're saving 20% and the real answer is supposed to be 23, you said like, dang it, I was off by 3%, which isn't a lot every year, but compounded. It's millions of dollars over time.
0: So Mary, I hope that's a good start for you. I think it's definitely better than working from a rule of thumb, which I'm like you, Mary. I hear the Rules of thumb a lot on podcast about, hey, you should be at this number. You should be. No, forget all that. Look at, you know, we talk about Becky and Stephen Heptig earlier. OG, the blogger, Becky Heptig and her husband yep. started at 50. You know, these prescriptive models, they they don't do much. They don't do much. com slash voicemail. If you would like to ask a question like Mary did and... I don't know. I feel like Mary's uh, free t-shirt was her, uh, giving, giving her sister the plug, but, but, but who knows? I don't, we're going to send Mary a t-shirt. Of course we are. If you're brave enough to call us, we will send you a stacking Benjamins Haven life greatest money show on earth circus t-shirt. Lots going on in the community calendar this week. I will be live on Instagram on Wednesday, getting back to our Instagram lives more often. Now Instagram lives are going to be moving our recording schedules shifting around. But this week I will be on Wednesday afternoon, 5 PM Eastern do the math on where you are coming out with us. Just put "Stacky Benjamins podcast into uh, your search on Instagram and follow us. And that's also a great way to find out what's uh, what's coming up. We have all kinds of founders and uh FinTech and advice givers, uh, lots of lots of cool interviews of uh, people from the financial community giving you great stuff over on our Instagram channel. If you want to see all the different channels we're on, we're on several different ones, uh, get our welcome guide, com slash welcome to get that. Two more things. Uh, I mentioned Stacked earlier. Stacked, I'm so pleased to announce CNN just listed their top 15 personal finance books to read in 2023, and Stacked was number one on that list. So big, big thanks to CNN for um, for recognizing the greatness that Emily Guy Birkin and I bring to the community. And I'm I'm super happy to announce that that was cool. I'm also going to be speaking in Bali this year at a retreat. I've, I've mentioned before OG that I'm getting my speaker game up and running and I will be at the five freedom retreat in Bali, September 27th to October 1st. I know there's still tickets available. If you want to come join us in Bali, OG, why don't you come join us in Bali? Uh, probably not. Go to, to five but if you're not here to uh, join me in Bali, you're not here to hear about uh, you know us bragging about being number one on a list of books you should read. You're here because as in recession fears are up, you might be feeling anxious to make some moves in your finances. However, what I want you to do instead is check out this free guide OG and his team put together that'll help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. It has some great insights on what you should be doing and smart questions to ask yourself so that you make financial decisions that your future self will thank you for head over to stacking slash guide That's stacking slash guide to get that free guide from OG. All right. That is our community calendar. That's everything I think we got except the big thing, which is what should we have learned? And Doug, we leave that to you, man. What should we have learned today?
2: Well, Joe, here's what we should have learned today. First, take some advice from Kevin Matthews. Focus on SIP, saving, investing, and protecting your plan. And you're on your way to financial security. Second, as Elvis said, don't be cruel to your loved ones when you pass away. Dot the I's and cross the T's on your estate plan. Now, pause the show and go do it. I'll be here waiting for you when you get back. But The big lesson... You're waiting for a joke here, aren't you? You don't always have to have a joke, people. Sometimes life gets serious. Thanks to Kevin Matthews for joining us today. His book, From Burning to Blueprint, Rebuilding Black Wall Street After a Century of Silence, is available at a bookstore near you. We'll also include links to Kevin's work at Building Bread in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023 and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from me, Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. You can hire Paulette as your very own writing coach with her program, Your Personal Editor. You get 10 sessions one-on-one with Paulette to add power to your words more information at your personaleditor.com. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called the 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online.
0: still need more. Maybe it's because it's February and you might be thinking about the holidays and how, man, they didn't talk at all about getting out of debt. And I know we didn't. We do lots of shows on that, but not today. But you know what? I can give you this, is you should think about becoming the CFO of your personal financial situation. See, a lot of people have debt, but very few people have a debt strategy And when you're putting your debt strategy together, not only do you need to think about the places to strategically take out debt, but also think about the maximum, the best way to pay off your debt. I had to get all that straight when I climbed out of debt myself. It helps to have great partners on your team. And that's why partnering up with Navy Federal Credit Union can help you. Pay down credit card debt, for example. You can get a low intro APR on balanced transfers with their platinum credit card. It's their lowest rate card and a great tool to pay less interest while you're paying down debt. Navy Federal can also help you get started on your next home improvement project. A lot of people will take out a bunch of money and a loan for home improvements, and then they don't spend that money. Well, they offer a home equity line of credit with convenient access to funds when you need them at a variable rate. So you're only taking on the debt that you need while you're fixing up the house. You can also get a fixed-rate equity loan with set monthly payments for large purchases. Consolidating debt with a home equity loan could also streamline and lower your monthly payments. Learn more at navyfederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lending. Membership required. Loans subject to approval. Call 1-888-842-6328 for details about credit cost and terms. HELOC APR is low as 6.5% as of November 23rd, 2022. You know the Super Bowl this weekend I did I did something one year that I saw in one of the online papers that I really want to do again and that is I love those uh I love those Super Bowl things where it's all the BS around the Super Bowl like how many how many minutes will the national anthem go how many planes will be in the flyover will there be two will there be three will there be five will there be you know what I mean like you guess those. You said how many
1: bets or all the different bets is what you said.
0: Yeah, this is like betting on the Super Bowl, but you put down. Everybody puts in X amount of money, and it's about the commercials. It's about will the Kansas City Chiefs first play be a runner, or a pass? Uh-huh. You know, and you bet in all these different things, and you end up watching the commercials and the game because it's all the stupid stuff. Will it be? Will will it be a Doritos commercial first, or a Pepsi commercial first? which one's going to go before the other, you got to bet Doritos or Pepsi will be first in the list. I don't know. I think those are really fun with the, you know, will the coin flip be heads or tails? We did this like three years ago and it may, just before COVID we did it. And you're, it you're not was, allowed to
1: gamble in Texas.
0: This was so fun. Oh, oh, there was, tiss, tiss, there, tiss. there was, we were, we were betting high fives. It was high fives. Ah, I see. But we had a bunch of people over OG and it was super fun. It was, it was like really fun. And everybody kept saying, man, I'm, I'm like here for the whole game. <laughs> it was, it was.
1: My super. um, my son just asked the other day. He's like, "What are we making for our Super Bowl party?" I'm like, "We have a Super Bowl party." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, you always have a Super Bowl party." I'm like,
0: "Hmm, okay."
1: So apparently, we're having one too.
0: Don't you? I thought you always do. Don't you? Say, didn't you say you invite some other family over?
1: I don't know. Usually, it's New Year's Eve, but um. Oh, that is New Year's Eve. Yes. But yeah, we might throw a slab of. uh, cow on the on the smoker and see what happens see if it attracts anybody this isn't the... <laughs> <laughs> just like it's like a bat signal hey neighbor like i'll send ding dong hey neighbor how's it going you watching what? the game oh hey you got the game on oh, huh? oh
0: look look there's brisket yeah. weird
1: oh i, I brought potatoes uh, it, i mean look
0: yeah i just happened to be passing by with potato salad in my car yeah weird who knows? and oh wow there's beer in your fridge <laughs> it's, uh, that's, that's pretty wild who knew? And a pool, if it's nice. By the way, that was what attracted me. <laughs> nice. Dude, when we had a pool, when we had a pool when I was growing up, it was amazing the number of relatives I saw.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That
0: I'd never seen. All of a sudden, we had a pool, and they're like, hey, just thought we'd stop by and visit. Yeah. Just thought we'd stop by and say hi. Yeah,
1: well, it's not going to be pool. It's not pool season in February, though. No. Well, yours is a heated pool. I guess you could turn it on. Come on.
0: Spend those big bucks, OG.
1: Use the Stacking those Benjamins card for <laughs> all of stack for my gas bill to heat my pool
0: (laughs) well if we get mary's sister as a sponsor then we'd be able to afford it
1: okay you're like looking at the pnl you're like what is this uh natural gas bill 1100 (laughs) oh yeah i had to heat the pool for my super bowl party
0: yeah we were broadcasting live we were broadcasting live from the pool for 30 seconds so we can write it off (laughs) it's not legal at all It's a write-off. You just write it off. I don't know the write-off people. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG who spent time in the military. And of course we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly Navy federal offers member only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit Navy federal.org slash celebrate. And you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site. Like Best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.